I spent some time in seminary studying um, abroad in Germany, in Tübingen, and around Christmas time, it seemed as if the whole country became obsessed with the angel's words to Mary at the Annunciation. Do you, do you remember those words? Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have ha- found favor with God. It was the topic of countless sermons from those in the Protestant foundation where I lived or to the ecumenical service that the Catholic theological faculty put on. And I even remember sitting in the airport and I had this giant, I don't know if you've encountered German newspapers, but the broadsheets, they just make them huge. They're like sails. And I, and I, and I opened it up and there was this full page spread and it was eight different leading voices in German public life. And they'd all been asked to comment on those words to Mary, do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. And I found that a little odd, that this one phrase had just seemed to captivate the imagination of an entire nation. Um, And it, it was odd to me. And so it got me thinking, and I wanted, to, I wanted to know, you know, is it something perhaps about this place that makes these words so attractive? And I think actually, as is so often the case with public discourse in Germany, that despite being more than 70 years in the past, the specter of mass murder was continuing to cast its long shadow of guilt and of fear at how quickly And strangely, this world can seem to spin just totally out of control. And all this comes to my mind tonight when I hear the selection we had this evening from the Gospel of Matthew. Because that same specter, the specter of the slaughter of innocence, looms behind the reading despite the fact that the lectionary cuts out the report that Herod, enraged when the Magi failed to return as he had wished to report to him the location of where the baby Jesus was, that he ordered the murder of all the boys, ages two and below, in in the little hamlet of Bethlehem. And probably from the perspective of of a historian or someone who observed Herod's rule, this ordering the death of one or two dozen infants in a very small village was not really that surprising. Herod was very concerned about anyone who might have a rival claim to his throne. And his propensity for violence really knew hardly any Bounds. In fact, it, it earned him a reputation in Rome, that city far, far away that was the capital of a people and an empire that our Lord's own death attests were no strangers to horrific acts of terror. But the Romans, who knew murder, looked at Herod and they were impressed. And I think that atmosphere is essential to understanding this passage. Because despite the lacuna between verses 15 and 19, there's an unmistakable fearfulness 
that marks the verses which remain. Think about how stark the contrast is between the angel's words to Mary and the command Joseph receives in his dream as the darkness surrounded him, his young wife, and newborn child. Rise! Take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there till I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. So Joseph does. I mean, wouldn't wouldn't you? (laughs) Hurriedly, he gathers what little they had, and he tosses it, you know, in, maybe perhaps into a pack or two, and he swings them lightly on his shoulders. You know, I think in moments like this, it was a blessing that they were as poor as they were, because they were able to head out, head south for Egypt, before the scent of the dew was even on the ground. They could start striding south and barely ruffle the silence of the night. And you know, it was good advice to go to Egypt. That advice came from God. It was good. Um, It was very good advice because there was a large Jewish community in Egypt. And it wouldn't have been too difficult, and I suspect it wasn't too difficult, for this small family to disappear and eke out a modest living in the midst of its bustle. But it's still a dangerous scene for them. And it's also a dangerous scene for us because I think we miss, uh, we, we, we risk missing something important by just focusing on Joseph's obedience and overlooking his fear. Indeed, the message delivered to Joseph in the first dream we hear of in today's passage is a frightful one. What parent would not awake with a start having dreamed that a search party was being sent out to destroy his or her child. And it's as if Matthew intentionally makes fear a theme throughout this narrative of Jesus' birth. For if we understand Joseph's context, we can't possibly mistake him for some sort of safety-first worrywart, uh, rushing off to Egypt and thereby just sort of having to check off a prophecy on the way. The threat was real. And frankly, the prophecy was not all that essential to fulfill. And that may surprise you to hear me say, but uh, the way in which it's mentioned makes it seem like they're going there to fulfill a prediction. But really, scholars have been very puzzled about just what is meant here with these words from Hosea. Out of Egypt, I have called my son. When they appear there, they're spoken of something that's already happened. Hosea is talking about the Exodus when Moses leads the Jews out of, out, of, out of Egypt. And my son clearly refers to all of Israel. But then here it is in Matthew, and it's being applied to Jesus. And so it's, a, it's, it's puzzling. But it's also characteristic of the way that prophecies are deployed within the Gospel of Matthew. In the Gospel of Matthew, prophecies are a much broader category than just a prediction with a fulfillment. It's as if the author is trying to show that God has a message that he wants to share 
and he shared it in the past, and he shares it again. That that God repeats himself and retells these messages at new moments throughout biblical history and even into today if we're attentive to it. And that's a different way of thinking about prophecy. So there we have it. We have two distinct features of Matthew's gospel account. The first is the sense of how God's work can be prefigured um, how, God, how God's worked in the past can prefigure how he's working in the midst of whatever is being described. That the, that the things that have happened before are, are, are a sort of signpost for a message that's being delivered in the moment that the gospel is telling us about. And the second is the sense of God working through fear rather than against it. Instead of those words, fear not, you've found favor, the words are, get up, they're coming for you, go, it's scary. But God works through that. And, and even through that, those frightening events, there's a pattern that is replicated of being led out of Egypt. And so both of these things are active when we encounter these puzzling words, out of Egypt I have called my son. God has rescued Israel in the past and through his stirring and startling dreams to Joseph, he's, fulfilling, he's, he's facilitating the rescue of his chosen once again. Yet even after the angel of the Lord appears in another dream and says, rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead, they get there and they find that Archelaus is ruling, and Archelaus was, just loved violence just as much as his father and, and wasn't as effective, so the Romans kicked him out in 6 AD. He didn't last long. And then there's another dream, and they say, freak out, get out of there. It's, it's, it's just fear everywhere in this account. But the fright that, suff- that suffuses our reading tonight, I think, is enough to make us cry out for those words that are spoken to Mary at the Annunciation. We, and, I mean, don't you find yourself perhaps thinking, surely Joseph has found favor with God. Think of all that God has entrusted to Joseph. God has gone so far in the incarnation to give himself into Joseph's care. If that's not favor with God, I don't know what is. Right? But neither Joseph nor we are allowed to hear those words, do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. He's not allowed to hear them, and we're not allowed to hear them yet. And so, I just ask, what if we could tonight approach these words which we long to hear with the openness of the author of Matthew's Gospel? What if we could listen closely and perhaps hear a prophecy contained in them? A prophecy fulfilled in that son called out of Egypt. The son in whom we are God's chosen. Through belief in whose name we are made children of God, made one in Christ. For just as God worked through the horror 
of his violent death upon the cross, that slaughter of the one uniquely innocent, who was God himself, God enables those words spoken to Mary. Do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. God allows through those events those words to be spoken to to us. And in the final chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, after the women rush home from the tomb, having discovered it's empty, and they're shocked, and it's Matthew's Gospel, they're, they're frightened, Jesus meets them. And he greets them, and he says, Hail! And he pronounces those longed-for words to them and to us. He says, Do not be afraid. Hail. Do not be afraid. And when we consider this, when we consider that we've not only been made to be witnesses to fearful violence, but we're also made witnesses to Jesus' resurrection. We know it through our relationship with him even now. We see that, that the whole work has been completed, that out of Egypt, God has rescued his chosen, that he's called his son to rescue his chosen out of Egypt, that here in Jesus, God has done what is necessary to do. He has paid the price that we, that we might receive favor with him. And that's when we can hear those words. They're a prophecy at the beginning of Luke. And through all the fear that we hear tonight, all the murder and frightening things, we come to be able to long for and hear those words. Hail, do not be afraid, for in Christ Jesus you have found favor with God. Amen.